Come now to the scripture. And I ask you to please, um, to please pray with me. Our Father in heaven, uh, again, uh, we marvel at your grace. Uh, we recognize the graciousness of your giving to us, um, giving to us this word of God. That we can read it and trust that it is from you and you have given it to us so that we may know you and we may be reconciled to you. And so please, I pray, help us. In Jesus' name, amen. Turn, please, to the Old Testament prophet Jonah. Old Testament prophet Jonah, I want to read beginning with chapter 1, verse 17, through chapter 2, please. Jonah, chapter 1, verse 17. This uh, is the word of the Lord. And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. And then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the belly of the fish, saying, I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol I cried, and you heard my voice. For you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the flood surrounded me. All your waves and your billows passed over me. And then I said, I'm driven away from your sight. Yet I shall again look upon your holy temple. The waters closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped about my head. At the roots of the mountains, I went down to the land whose bar closed upon me forever. You brought me up. Yet you brought up my life from the pit. You, O Lord, my God. When my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord your God, and my prayer came to you into your holy temple. Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. But I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you. What I have vowed, I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. And the Lord spoke to the fish, and it vomited Jonah out upon the dry land. What I want to do this morning, if God will help me, is to concentrate our attention, really, on verses 8 and 9. Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. But I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you what I vowed I'll pay. Salvation belongs to to the Lord. It'll take me a minute to get there, but, but that's really uh, where we're headed. Those verses may well be the uh, key verses in, in all, of this, all of this book. In fact, I suppose they could be key verses, uh, really, in, in all of the Bible for us, that uh, those who regard vain idols will forsake their hope of, of God's saving love, his steadfast love, and salvation uh, belongs to the Lord. You'd think that Jonah would have known that. Before chapter 2. You, as a prophet of God, you'd think he would have known that. You would think that if you had said to Jonah, um, so, so tell me about idolatry, he would have said, no, 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 that's wrong. The first commandment uh, says that we're to love uh, God and, and, and only him, if you will, to, to worship him alone. Uh, and and so, so idolatry would be a bad thing. The second commandment speaks very directly to 
to, to using idols even to worship the true and living God, let alone any false God. So, so, so he would understand that, you would think, uh, from, and, and if you would ask him, does salvation belong to the Lord? He would say, certainly yes. I mean, he would look, uh, in the history of his people and say, well, let's think about the Exodus. You know, God, God rescued them. God rescued my people. And he did it, no one else. And, and he did it, and he did it alone. And so, so yes, God is the one who rescues. And, and this salvation belongs to him and to him alone. But, but you get the sense that by the time he was in the belly of the whale, he knew it in a way he had known that before. Now we'll see when we get to chapter 4 that Jonah doesn't understand it completely, but we can't really hold that against him because we don't either. I mean, if you were to ask me, 15 years ago, do I know that idolatry is, is wrong and, and, and idols are worthless? I would have said, sure, but trust me now, I know it even more. And if you would have asked me, do I believe that salvation is from the Lord, that it belongs to him and to him alone? And if you would ask me that 15 years ago, I would have said, sure, I know that, but trust me, I know it more now. And my suspicion is I still have some lessons on both counts uh, to learn. So that's, that's the situation uh, with, with Jonah. Now, it's surprising when we get to chapter 2, especially, that we find Jonah not simply in the belly of the whale. That's surprising enough, I suppose. But it's surprising that we find him alive. Because you see, if this had ended in chapter 1, verse 16, with, with Jonah being thrown into this roaring sea... If it would have ended there, we would have simply thought Jonah to be dead. I mean, the th- sailors thought he was going to be dead. I mean, they, they threw him into the raging sea. And even though the sea stopped raging some time after Jonah was in there, whether it was immediately or however after, still he was in the sea. Uh, and Jonah himself expected that he was going to die once that took place. He didn't expect to live uh, to live through that. And especially while he was in the midst of it, he didn't expect to live through it. Verse 3 of his prayer, uh, he says, um, uh, verse, verse, uh, verse 5, the waters closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped around my head. At the roots of the mountains, I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever. I mean, all those are images of, of dying and death. You know, here he was uh, sinking. The waters were closing in around him. The deep surrounded him. Uh, he had seaweed wrapped around his head. Uh, he was at the roots of the mountains. He said, I've gone as deep as I can possibly go here. And I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever. Those the, the bars of Sheol, the bars, bars of death to keep him in. So that's, I mean, he expected to be dead in the midst of all of this. But it, he, he wasn't dead. He was, he, he, he was alive. And in fact, if all this had ended in verse 16, uh, we would have a lot to talk about. We could have talked about the justice of God. We could have talked about the holiness of God. We could have talked about, about the fact that Jonah got exactly what he deserved and, 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 and all of that. But, but we find him alive, and that's the amazing thing. That's the point of it. Jonah, here he is uh, in the belly of the whale, but here he is really, uh, really Alive And in his being alive, he prays. And this is a prayer, surprisingly to me, 
not to get out of the belly of the fish. You see, if I'm Jonah, I'm thinking, you know, Lord, is there another place for me? I mean, uh, you know, maybe dead would feel better. I don't know. I've never been. But, but uh, you know, he doesn't pray to get out of the fish. He prays because he's in the fish. He prays because he is alive. And this is a song, really, a psalm, a prayer. As you read through it, you, you probably think, I've heard these expressions before. And if you're a reader of the Bible, especially a reader of the Psalms, you realize that's where he learned to pray. Obviously, that's where these words come uh, out of this, 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 these Psalms of, of the Old Testament. So he, he learned well. And so he, he, he prays a prayer of thanksgiving. He's giving thanks to God that he's been that he's been rescued. And this, this prayer really lines out, if you think about these things this way, uh, just like a psalm of thanksgiving. And it has the same kind of structure, the same kind of flow. It begins with kind of a summary statement about, about what God has done. And then it, it speaks of, of, of his distress and, and, and God coming to rescue him. And then uh, it, it ends with this marvelous, this marvelous summary expression. That, that's how psalms of thanksgiving are. So, so here's Jonah in the midst of the belly of the whale uh, giving thanks that God has that God has rescued him. But but notice this, verse 2. He said, I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me out of the belly of Sheol, I cried, and you heard my voice. Now, again, great Old Testament expression you can find if you if you look up in concordance uh, or Google distress in the Bible. You'll find that's an expression used in the Psalms all the time. The psalmists were always crying out, of their distress. But what is fascinating here? And I, I, for me, it just bells and whistles go off. Is the audacity of Jonah. For calling out in the midst of his distress, no doubt when he's sinking down. The audacity of Jonah to call out to God at that point in time. Because you see, Jonah's to blame for his distress. I mean, if he hadn't run, he wouldn't have been in the ship. And if he hadn't been in the ship, there wouldn't have been a storm. If there hadn't been a storm, he wouldn't have been thrown overboard. And then there he is, having been thrown overboard, running from God. Finally, he says, okay, God, will you help me here? Out of his distress, he calls to the Lord. And that's it, isn't it? I mean, that's the very nature of, of our lives. And that's the very nature of the grace of God. You see, Jonah knew about the grace of God over in chapter 4 uh, in a different context. But but he, he says, in essence, I know about God. He says, I knew, verse 2, I knew that you're a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. And so Jonah knew in the midst of that that he could still call upon God even though he was utterly to blame for his distress. That's amazingly, even surprisingly, the way that God is. Even though we've been utterly unfaithful to him. And and even though that unfaithfulness may result in our being in utter distress... God still says, 
call upon me and I will answer you. I mean, we, we could have destroyed our marriage because of our own sin. And God says, call upon me. We could have destroyed precious relationship because of our temper or because of our, our lying or because of our whatever. And God still says, call upon me. That's, that's the nature of the mercy and the graciousness of God. I've, I've sat with embezzlers and murderers and rapists and others who are in great distress because of their sin, those dramatic ones, and still call upon God. I have nothing else to tell you, but call upon God. I mean, God is gracious. God is merciful. Don't, don't, don't run anymore. Call upon him now. That's the sense, isn't it, of, of Jonah. People can be racked in great distress because of sexual sin, and yet God says still to them, call upon me. No matter how far we're sinking, no matter how much the waters have come over us, no matter how deep we're into this, God says, call upon me in your distress. And that's the sense of it. Think of it. Jonah's the blame for everything here. And yet still, he calls upon the Lord. That It amazes him even. I called upon the Lord and look, I'm alive. How'd that happen? Oh, it must have been the mercy and grace of God. I didn't deserve it. I was running from him. I did everything wrong. I did everything to humiliate him. I did everything to offend him. And yet still, when I'm suffering exactly what I deserve to suffer, I call upon him and he is really, really there. That's, uh, that's what it is about grace. It's utterly, completely, not only undeserved, but think of it, ill-deserved. We deserve the exact opposite. I mean, if God had said, no, Jonah, sorry, you're getting exactly what you deserve. You ran from me, and this is what happens to people who forsake me. Uh, then they, they die. The wages of sin is death. <laughs> and in the midst of his distress, Jonah calls out to God. And God, God answered him. But not only that, in the midst of this, Jonah realized that while he was to blame for what was happening, that God had caused the circumstances for his distress. God had caused the storm to come up. God had caused the lots that the sailors threw in order to find out who was at blame here. And it fell upon Jonah. God was in all of that. In fact, Jonah would recognize that. Verse 3, he says, For you cast me into the deep. Well, really? It was the sailors, wasn't it? They cast him into the deep. And Jonah said, No, 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 I get it, God. I, I, I get it. You cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the flood waters surrounded me. All your waves and your billows passed over me. Then I said, I'm driven away from your sight. That is, uh, I'm forsaken by you. He says, I get it, God. You're, you're the, the real, the bottom line, first cause of my real 
distress here. I, I, I understand that. And, and we realize that at that point uh, that Jonah, because of that, finally comes to his senses. Remember the story of the prodigal that Jesus tells? He tells the story, you know, about two brothers and, and uh, the, the, the one brother decides he wants his inheritance. And so his father gives him the inheritance and he takes it and he, he, he spends it all on wild living and all of that. And he finds himself... Not in the belly of a whale, ultimately, but he, or in the sea. But what he finds himself is that he's feeding pigs. And not only that, but he's eating the slop that he's feeding the pigs. And so his life is boiled down to that sinking, if we could use the metaphor of the image of Jonah, we could use that. He was sinking and, and, and you could see that he was about to die. But, but, but the scripture says he finally came to himself. Some translations put it like this. He finally came to his senses. You know that Jonah never thought more clearly. And Jonah never thought more correctly than when he was drowning. It was then... That he came to his, his senses and he realized that all of this, the storm and all of that, was from God. Because you see, the grace of God is not only undeserving to us, but it's relentless. It stops at nothing to rescue us. Think about... Think about your own life. It may not have been dramatic as Jonah's deal. But if you're a believer in Jesus, you know that it was God who sought you even while you ran. It was God who brought you to that point by whatever means. He just relentlessly sought you. He did that with Jonah. Jonah would very much resonate, I suspect, as many here would resonate as well with Psalm 119, these two profound verses, verse 67. The psalmist writes, Before I was afflicted, I went astray, but now I keep your word. Before the suffering came, I thought everything was great. I thought I had it together. I mean, he was Jonah. He, he was running from God. He found a ship when he was in Joppa. And it was going to Tarshish. He was going to be able to go as far away from God as possible. And he thought, God will never find me there, if you will. There, there isn't anybody in Tarshish that, that knows God, that's going to remind me of God, that's going to talk to me about God. And surely God won't speak to me there. He only speaks to people in, in the temple or in Israel or whatever. But he's not going to get me there. And so I'm going to be able to go as far away as possible. And everything looks like it's working out perfectly. Here's the ship. Good crew, got the money, ready to go, got on the ship. And then the relentless, hounding, seeking grace of God. And caught up with, with Jonah. And I think like the psalmist, he would say, before I was afflicted, I went astray. And then verse 71, the psalmist says this. It's good for me that I was afflicted. That I might learn your statutes. The relentless, seeking, pursuing 
grace of God in Jonah's life. You know, the good news for us, I mean, the really, really, really good news for us is that no matter how far and fast we've run, we can't outrun the grace of God. No matter how deep we sink. I don't know about you, but even as I say those words, I, I can still feel the sinking of my own life at times. And why didn't I die? I mean, why, how was I rescued? Well, it was, because of, it was because of God. Same thing, you see, that how deep we sink. And that's the good news for us. I don't know where you're sinking today. I don't know if you are sinking today. I don't know if you're running today. I don't know any of that. I know a little. But I really don't know. I'm just saying. That you can't outsink God. You can't outrun God. You belong to him. He's relentless. He'll come to you. He'll get you. He'll, whatever it takes. It's not a threat. It's just true. Whatever it takes, he will indeed rescue you from your running and and your distress. All caused by you. You're the blame. But call upon him, he says, and he will indeed, indeed answer you. There's a loaded theological term I'm going to use. Some of you will squirm, but that's all right. That his grace is irresistible. Now that doesn't mean that God's grace isn't resisted. It's resisted all the time. I mean, the call goes out all the time. Uh, come to me, as Jesus said, all oh, you're weary and burdened, and I'll give you rest. Or whosoever will call on the name of the Lord will be saved. Those, those, those calls go out all the time. Uh, and, and it's resisted. People say no to that. People run from that. I'm not going to do that. But, but there is a certain sense in which. And his grace. For those who believe are is. Is irresistible. Because when we say it's irresistible. We don't mean it's not resisted. We just simply means that God can overcome our resistance. It's that powerful. This grace of, of God. It certainly overcame Jonah's resistance. I mean, there's lots of people that are drowning who never call upon God. Even those who know they should call upon God. Uh, They know they're sinking. They know know life is about to even be extinguished from them. But but still, they won't call upon God. And and, and yet, perhaps even they've heard and been called, if you will, by this general message that says, whosoever will call in the name of the Lord will be saved. And and still, they won't call. But, 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 But Jonah did. Why? He's an Israelite. There was a sense in which he had belonged to God. He'd been called as a prophet. God had called him. And here he was sinking. And, and still, yet, he, he calls upon God because of the grace of God that comes to him. Overcame his resistance. Isn't that true? For you? For me? How is it that we've called upon him? I've shared before many, many times, I'm flabbergasted by the fact that I believe in Jesus. I have no idea what came over me. Actually, I do. But I didn't until he told me that it was the Holy Spirit that came over me, that enabled me to to come to faith, to believe, that that overcame my resistance. And so, even still, we we, we see this, we realize this, and, 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 and I wonder... 
And that's what causes us to give thanks. Jonah gave thanks in the belly of the whale, you see, uh, because of this irresistible, if you will, this irresistible grace. He realized that indeed salvation did belong utterly and completely, uh, completely to God. Because Jonah would know, verse 8. Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. See, John Calvin, I think it was, who said that our minds are idol factories. Um, what that means is that, that we can think up all kinds of things to worship, to put our hope in, to put our trust in. And, and many of these are good things, and yet we, we promote them to be ultimate things. Things in which we find our life. And, and anytime we promote anything to be an ultimate thing, to be a thing in which we place our hope, to be a thing that we find, where we find our life, that if we didn't have it, then we would have no hope, we would have no life really. Would be destroyed. When we do that, you see, we have an idol before us. And the truth of the matter is, we all know, don't we? We all know the idols of our lives. They come from deep within us. We're wanting to be protected, to be provided for, to be accepted. All of those things that then lead us to, to maybe put our job as, as an idol for us. It's the thing that defines us. It's, it's where we get our identity. It's, it's the thing that directs all of our decisions, or, or most of the big ones anyway. It's the thing where, where we find our, our deepest joy and delight. And if we didn't have that, we wouldn't have life. And you take that away from me and I cease to be. Right? We, we promote our jobs, this good thing, to an ultimate thing in the place of God possessions. I've got to have them. Because that's where my security is. That's where my hope is. If I have them, if I have enough of them, if they're grand enough, if they put me in a particular position, then, then you see, then I'm good. All is well with my soul. We think possessions are bad, good things, but when we promote them to be ultimate things, then that's our identity. I have this. Getting them directs us. And we have our delight in them. And, and again, very frankly and honestly, whether it's job or whether it's possessions or whether it's our pleasures, whatever it is, they just kind of sneak up. We find ourselves occupied with them so much and inundated with all the word about them from the world in which we live that they kind of, before we know it, they're there. Sometimes it's, it's perhaps us, but, but it's, they're there in, in our lives. And again, that's why we gather every Sunday to renew, to restore, to, to, to recalibrate, if you will. Uh, because we have to rethink all of this and put everything back in its right place. You know, I, I say this and I believe this. I think it's true from the scripture that God has wired human beings. That we need one day in seven... To stop and gaze upon him. If we don't, everything gets mixed up and messed up. We've got to stop. This is what we do here. And, and, and I, could I just say this? That, that, that when we come, if it's really hard for us to engage, it's probably because we've been too engaged 
in the world the week before. And it's very difficult to let that go. And we might not even know it. It might just, just, it's just life. It just pours through us. You see, it just happens. We come here. It's difficult to, to kind of shake that off and, and to kind of recalibrate it and, and get it back where everything needs to be. Where God is God. He's the ultimate thing. He defines me. He directs me. He's my delight. All of that. And, and so getting that, getting Him in our own heads and hearts there, you see, that's, it takes a while sometimes. And, and I think, at least for me, the longer that takes me in the setting of worship, and there's other things, obviously, the longer it takes me, it's likely the more engaged I've been and the stronger these idols really are. So Jonah sees, of course, the vanity, finally, of his own idols. He realizes they're of no help at all. Whether his idol was his self-righteousness, whether his idol was the fact that he thought he was worthy of the grace of God and the Ninevites weren't. However, that is, we'll play that out in chapter 4. But whatever those idols were, at that moment in time, when he was sinking and, and about to be expired, he realized that only God could help him. None of his idols were of any use at all. So whether that are possessions or whether it's your job or whether, whether I, I think the, the, the hardest one for Christian families right now is our children. I mean, I, I think we've idolized our children, that our, our children define us and we wrap so much of our lives into their success and their happiness and that directs us so much that we have to be careful that we don't make our children the ultimate as opposed to the gift. And you see, when we do that, then we, we make all kinds of mistakes and sin in all kinds of ways. And it leads to all kinds of distress for them and us. Um, to be dangerous. Or, or, or if it's our marriage or whatever that is, you see. And Jonah realized it was all vain because he realized that salvation belonged to the Lord and the Lord only. That it's the Lord Whose plan it is to save us. It's, it's his plan and his plan alone. No one else thought of it. That's why, you see, I think, the fish, the big fish, is so important in this whole narrative of Jonah. People say nobody could live three days in a fish. And I know there's been various stories about how people have done that. And uh, some have been re- debunked and some others, I don't know. But I don't care. Because the truth of the matter is, hello... This is a miracle, right? I mean, this is a miracle that a man could live, I mean, live three days in any kind of fish in the sea. Why do we have to find that fish? That's the point of it. Only God could do this. Jonah could never say, I had this great plan. I knew there was this fish. And he was like so far off the shore. And I knew if I got in trouble on the boat, if I jumped over this side of the fish, over, over this side of the boat, that fish would be there. And I knew that he hadn't eaten in three days. And I knew I'd be delectable. And so I knew that, that he would come and swoop me up and I'd be safe. And then after a couple of days, you know, I'd get sick of me and he'd throw me up on the shore. No. All Jonah could say at the end of the day is, wow, I'm alive. 
a little washed out maybe, <laughs> but I'm alive. Here I am. How'd that happen? That was amazing. That was a miracle. That was only God could do something like that. That's why if Jonah had swum ashore, even if it was a, a long distance, at the end you'd say, way to go, Jonah. That was great. So proud of you for that. Didn't know you had it in you, but way to go. Or if he even grabbed a big branch or a part of the ship that maybe had come loose while the storm was happening and he floated ashore, you'd go, good, that was great, Jonah. Good thinking, grabbing that branch, grabbing that board, whatever it was. And he would congratulate him. Uh, and, and, and no, none of that at all. The best you can say to Jonah is, you don't deserve this. How'd that ever happen? Isn't God amazing? Isn't his grace? Undeserved isn't his grace. Relentless isn't his grace. Irresistible. Jonah, I knew you before. You were resisting all the time. But now look, you didn't. God has really been good. Good to you. It was a joy to baptize Lindsay and Leah. But the focus of attention was God. I mean, we, we want to say something. People say, I'm sorry to do this to you. I didn't even plan on doing it, but, you know, hey. I've known you since we were, you know, whatever. But, 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 but you know, the, the tendency is to say, well, way to go. Congratulations. So proud of you. No, no. Sorry. That, that might work after, a, you know, a soccer game, but it doesn't work after a baptism. You know what I mean? You're going to hug anybody, hug God. Uh, you can hug them. But I mean, you know what I mean? You're going to congratulate anybody. Congratulate God. Say, way to go, God. That's why we worship. Look at what he's done. He saves people from their sins. And, and, and it's, it's God who, who does that, you see. We take no credit. We boast in nothing uh, at the end of the day. Because it's all been his, his grace. And, and that's why at the end we, we give prayers of thanks. Thank you for doing this, God, for saving me. That's the joy of it. That's the, the joy of our salvation. The other night at the OC at the Orient Center, uh, Kevin Lee and, and uh, Chad Donahoe and I were asked to briefly all share our testimonies of how we came to faith in Christ. And, and it was all, everyone was different, quite different. But I hope and I think at the end of the day, the, the one thread that went through each testimony was that no one would think that we were deserving of this salvation, that no one would think that we did anything uh, to, uh, to, to, to be worthy of this salvation, that everyone would realize, here's three men whom God has saved. I hope that's it. I hope when people ask you about your salvation, make sure that at the end of whatever it is you tell them about it, they're convinced that God saved you. They're convinced of that. And they look past you and they say, wow, God is great. Now you remember Jesus said that he was like Jonah, but greater. And that's what makes this grace effective. 
Because you see, not only did God plan it, but God executed it. Obviously, he executed it in Jonah's life by preparing the fish, by bringing the fish, by swallowing up Jonah. God did all of that. Uh, Jonah didn't do any of that. And, and, and Jonah was rescued uh, and ultimately uh, put upon the shore. And, and so God not only planned it, but God executed it. And the same way, you see, Jesus is the one who's executed this, executed our salvation. And he's executed our salvation. He said, by just like Jonah, who was in the belly of the whale for, or fish for three days, he was in the belly of the earth for three days. And he's greater than Jonah because, you see, as we mentioned last Sunday, Jesus didn't flee. Jonah fled. Jesus didn't flee. He came. And when Jesus came, he didn't deserve to be thrown into the sea. We did. But he voluntarily went into the sea. Right into the heart of it. The scariest part. The most destructive part. And while Jonah just went up to the bars of Sheol, Jesus entered in. He died. And in his death, you see, he gained for us life. Real forgiveness of sins. Real resurrection. Real, real life. You see, we, we see the undeservedness of the grace of God in Jonah's life, but we see it in ours. We, we see the relentlessness of God in rescuing Jonah. We see the relentlessness of God in saving us. He didn't spare his own son, but he gave him up for us all. And the result of that for us is that now we give thanks. What else is there? Now we give thanks. Let's pray. Father, I pray for me, for us. And for those who know this saving grace that we would give thanks. And we sing this expression from that old hymn, how wonderful, how marvelous, that we really do believe that. Father, I pray that you would cause that expression to ring in our heads all week long that yes it is wonderful it is marvelous it isn't matter of fact it isn't just something that happened it's it's wonderful it's, it, it causes us to wonder it's marvelous it causes us to marvel at what you've done i pray god for me for us that we'd never take this for granted we'd never kind of get ho-hum about this salvation that that it would be wonderful it would be marvelous uh, to us, I pray during the course of this week that my eyes would be upon you, our eyes would be upon you in such a way uh, that the idols of our minds and the idols of the world wouldn't come up against us in such a way that would dull us in any way, shape, or form to the wonder and the marvel of this great salvation that is by grace through faith. And Father, that we would never boast in ourselves, but we would always and only boast in you because we know. We're undeserving. 
We know you've graciously been relentless. And we know that you've given to us your spirits to fill us, to lead us, to change us, to enable us to trust in Jesus. So, Father, I pray that you fill us with thanksgiving and joy. Father, on this Mother's Day, I think there's some for whom this is a joyous day and some for whom it's a difficult day. I pray that you would grant grace. Father, for our dear Lorraine, who's recovering from kidney surgery, Lorraine Canister, I pray that you would bring healing to her and deepening of faith. For Melissa Foster, she again this week awaits surgery. I pray that you would be with her, give her patience, but also prepare her. Father, for the for Lorinda Hartzler and Lavana McAllister and their families on the death of Lorinda and Lavana's stepfather this week, I pray your grace upon them. That even as they testified to his faith and and their peace, that you would grant them deep assurance that you are with them, that they belong to you. And for us, Father, as a church, give us grace that we may continue to be gracious. And this I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.